We left Jonah after he'd been vomited up on the shore. He had turned to God and said he would go to Nineveh and he would do what God said he would prophesy to them. And today we are going to be looking at chapter 3 where he goes to Nineveh and he does, albeit slightly reluctantly, prophesy to them. And we see what happens next and it's pretty astonishing. So thank you for joining me today for Jonah chapter 3. Let's get on with it. My name is Megan and here I talk about the Bible. I spend some time reading through commentaries and studying passages and then chat through here about what I've learned so you can learn that info on the go, doing your cleaning, while you work and I really hope this just feels like grabbing a coffee with me and doing a deep dive into scripture together. Let's get on with today's episode. So, there Jonah is, dripping and fish sick, when God speaks to him again. (laughs) Sorry, I'm I'm a bit obsessed with this fish sick, aren't I? I'm blaming it on the fact that my mum is a children's worker and um, we used to do a lot of holiday clubs that involved slime and, you know, foam pies in your face and beans in feet and beans and all this sort of stuff, you know, it, it was great it was great and I feel like we actually did a holiday club based on Jonah and fish sick featured fairly heavily um which the children loved anyhow we've left Jonah there that lovely graphic image um and God speaks to him again Jonah chapter three then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time saying arise go to that city in Nineveh that great city and call out against it the message that I tell you Are you getting deja vu? God is repeating the command he gave to Jonah back at the beginning of chapter one, before he decided to run off in the opposite direction. There's a lesson here that I certainly need to learn, and that is that procrastination doesn't help anything. (laughs) I'm a big procrastinator. I uh, always tend to end up doing a different job rather than the one I need to be doing, like cleaning the house, rather than recording my podcast for example anyway (laughs) it's part of a lesson here just get on with it um but this is especially true when god gives us a command or a mission or a vision don't stick stuff on the back burner don't go on a detour get started arise and go arise and go obviously sometimes we need to prepare for stuff but I don't know about you, but in my life, it's definitely been a case of just get going. God tells me to do something, my natural thing is about, oh, well, I'm not quite there. I, d- I don't know. I'm not sure. More often than not, he just wants me to take the first step in faith. Um, <laughs> and that's more what it's about, is teaching me to trust him than it actually is in the end. The end goal a lot of the time. Um, but that's just a, a small observation here let's follow what God is asking us to do let's push on doors and 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 really go after it and not just be like oh well maybe tomorrow what can you do to to start the thing that God is asking you to do take one step just a little challenge for you anyway Jonah obeys this time and he arises and he goes in the right direction (laughs) last time he went in the other direction 
He goes in the right direction towards Nineveh to tell people the message that God has for them. So let's read the rest of the chapter from verse 3. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth, from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh. By the decree of his of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. And let them call out to, uh, mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows, maybe God will turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them and he did not do it. Okay, so you can kind of feel the comedy and satire in this passage, can't you? I talked about this in the first episode, how Jonah is is funny. Um, if you've read any of the other books about prophets in the Old Testament, you will know that more often than not, the prophets give like long, detailed messages from God, often to be ignored. <laughs> like they really have to push it. But here, Jonah stomps in and he's only one day into travelling into this huge city and the people just repent and he gets called to the king and the king's like making everyone repent including all the animals um it's especially funny and ridiculous in hebrew because jonah's sermon is literally only five words like five words he isn't exactly going into detail and he doesn't even mention god he could be a prophet from any old place saying any old thing from some random god it's almost as if sneaking suspicion here that he doesn't want the people of Nineveh to know about Yahweh because Jonah knows that if they call to him he will probably be merciful as Jonah has literally just experienced in the belly of the big fish as we looked at in the last episode. God is merciful when people cry out to him and it's kind of like Jonah is being obedient but he's not going into much detail um, because he doesn't like these people. He's scraping by with the bare minimum. He can say that he's been there and he's been obedient to God, but he just, just gets over that bar. Somehow, though, the people do repent. Despite Jonah's awful profiting, um, they do repent and they repent really fast. So I want to look at a few kind of points that come out of this why is it that people repent this fast and and also why is it that Jonah's so not keen for them to repent and why is it 
even more amazing than they do. So the first thing I want to just think about is something that in theological circles they call missio dei, um, which is just Latin, I think. Anyway, it means the mission of God. And it's the concept is that God is always working. Um, he's always working in people's hearts and he's always doing things. And so our job as Christians in, in our context, um, obviously Jonah was old covenant, but in our context now, if we're thinking about that, um, when we go out and we meet people and we talk to them about Jesus or we pray with them or, or whatever, um, we are joining in with what God's already doing. So it's not that we are responsible for people's salvation, as this book keeps underlining. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Um, but it's that it's just that recognition that God's already up to stuff. And so what we have to do is ask him what he's doing and go and join in, basically. And it seems like here Jonah come, is coming in and he doesn't even mention God, but it seems like God's already been working in Nineveh because the people are so quick to respond. It's like he's already prepared them and Jonah just comes in and is obedient to what God's saying and it's just that moment, that 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 moment that just is needed for them to repent. It seems like God has set this up um, and he's sent Jonah in. Jonah who doesn't want to see these people repent and he set this thing up and they just instantly do. It's funny. It's funny. Um what's also funny is the way that Jonah says it is he says that Nineveh will be overturned and it's like he's speaking the truth um he thinks he's prophesying that it will be destroyed but let let me just read to you a little bit from uh Philip Carey's commentary about God's kind of doing a wordplay here and it's very clever and it's very funny he says above all there is the ambiguity ambiguity I can never say it sorry you know what I mean of the last word overturned which amounts to a kind of a pun to overturn can mean not only to overthrow and destroy but also to turn over to turn around and turn one thing into another as when Moses's staff turns into a snake or the waters of Egypt turn into blood or when the prophet warns that the sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood the turning can be for better or for worse Dancing and feasting turned into mourning, or mourning and sorrow turned into joy and dancing. Most strikingly, the Lord turns Balaam's curse against Israel into a blessing. He turns Saul into another man, turning his heart into another heart. Some such transformation or conversion, turning one thing into another, seems to be what the Lord has in mind. If these are indeed the exact words he has given Jonah to speak... So it may be that the Lord has fooled Jonah, giving him a message containing more good news than Jonah realises. <laughs> it's just funny, isn't it? God has such a sense of humour, he really does. So Jonah goes in thinking he's prophesying this place is going to be destroyed. He's expecting that people probably won't repent. Um, but but God has set this all up and it comes true. It does it does get turned around, um, overturned, but not in the way that Jonah expects. Now, why was it that Jonah was so against these people repenting? And I think, I think we need to understand this because this—he's not just being grumpy. He is grumpy, it seems, but he's not. It's not it. These people were known as being like barbarians. They were really, really awful people. Um, their empire 
was brutal. Uh, maybe it's best to explain it like this. When I was at college, when I was at doing my theology degree, um, I remember first year of theology degree, you do like an overview of the Old Testament, and we were talking about the Assyrians and their empire, and actually we, we looked at these pictures of the corridor that led up to the king's throne. Um, and they're like kind of big stone walls and on those walls are carvings of all the people that they had defeated and all the ways that they defeated them and basically killed them and like suppressed these people whose land they were taking over and um, actually that weekend after I did that lesson I went to London um, to meeting a friend, meet my parents there and we went to the British Museum and they have those exact carvings in the British Museum. It's amazing. If you're into biblical kind of like history and archaeology and stuff, it's amazing. Honestly, you go in, you go kind of go by the Rosetta Stone to the left. At least this was about five years ago. I don't know if it's moved around. I wouldn't have thought so. And they have all these ancient Assyrian things and they have the carvings from this corridor and you walk through it and it it was incredible because I was seeing in front of me um the things that these people would have seen it's one of those weird moments when time just kind of collapses you know um and you don't feel that far away from these people but it was really horrific the images were horrible of people just being slaughtered in these really horrible ways like you you can look this up i'll link it in the description so you can have a look at these these images but these people were known for going out and slaughtering people and and killing people and taking over people's land like they they weren't the good guys these were the enemies and it really really shows the extent of god's grace this would be the equivalent of i guess in in our kind of more recent history this would be the equivalent of going into the headquarters of nazi germany during world war ii and speaking to those people under hitler and telling them telling them about god's judgment and then seeing them repent in front of you and seeing them turn to god and I think we can understand a little bit more what Jonah must be feeling there. These people are the enemies of his people. They've killed a lot of them. <laughs> they're not good. They're not they're not good people. Now, obviously a lot of people that were just in the city would just be everyday people that happen to live in Assyria, but this empire, the king who repents, would have made a lot of these decisions and yet he's going in and 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 god's offering them grace and they're responding and jonah's not happy with that because they are such awful people now this is a real challenge to us isn't it do we understand that the grace of god extends even to those people that we really dislike and not just those people that we just dislike, but the people who are committing really, really evil, hateful, 
horrible acts that hurt people. God's grace even extends to them. God still wants them to repent and come to him. In God's eyes, these are people that are lost. You know, that might be really hard, especially if you personally have been hurt by something like that. If you know people, your family members, um, that's difficult. But God's grace is so much greater. And that is part of the good news. When we say there's no depth, there's no there's no depth of evil he can't take us out of when we when we turn to him as we said in the last episode that's really true i just want to read an extract from a book um by the amazing woman corrie ten boom who was um a dutch lady who lived during world war ii actually um she wasn't jewish but she got put in a concentration camp because she was harbouring Jews, trying to keep them safe when the Nazis were trying to take them away. So she ended up in a camp with her sister. Her sister died in that camp. Her sister was a Christian too. They were both Christians. Um, Her sister died. And I just want to read to you the encounter that she had with the Nazi soldier who was responsible, effectively, for her sister's death. This is uh, page 56 in the edition I have of Tramp for the Lord. And that's when I saw him working his way forward against the others. One moment I saw the overcoat and the brown hat, the next a blue uniform and a visored cap with a skull and crossbones. And it came back with a rush, the huge room with its harsh overhead lights, the pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the centre of the floor, the shame of walking naked past this man. I could see my sister's frail form ahead of me, ribs sharp beneath the parchment skin. Betsy, how thin you were. The place was Ravensbrook, and the man who was making his way forward had been a guard, one of the most cruel guards. Now he was in front of me, hand thrust out. A fine message, Fräulein. How good it is to know that, as you say, all our sins are at the bottom of the sea. And I who had spoken so glibly of forgiveness, fumbled in my pocketbook rather than take that hand. He would not remember me, of course. How could he remember one prisoner among thousands of women? But I remembered him in the leather crop swinging from his belt. I was face to face with one of my captors and my blood seemed to freeze. You mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk, he was saying. I was a guard there. No, he did not remember me. But since that time, he went on, I have become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there, but I would like to hear it from your lips as well, Fräulein. Again the hand came out. Will you forgive me? And I stood there. I whose sins had again and again been forgiven and could not forgive. Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply for the asking? It could not have been many seconds that he stood there, hand held out, but to me it seemed hours, as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I have ever had to do. For I had to do it. I knew that. The message that God forgives has a prior condition, that we forgive those who have injured us. 
If you do not forgive men their trespasses, Jesus says, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. I knew it not only as a commandment of God, but as a daily experience. Since the end of the war, I had a home in Holland for victims of Nazi brutality. Those who were able to forgive their former enemies were able also to return to the outside world and rebuild their lives, no matter what the physical scars. Those who nursed their bitterness remained invalids. It was as simple and as horrible as that. And still I stood there with the coldness clutching my heart. But forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew that too. Forgiveness is an act of the will, and the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Jesus, help me, I prayed silently. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. You supply the feeling. And so woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, sprang into our joined hands. And then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother. I cried, with all my heart. For a long moment we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. But even so, I realised it was not my love. I had tried and I did not have the power. It was the power of the Holy Spirit as recorded in Romans 5.5. Because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. Oh, I find it really difficult to read that without crying. <laughs> Isn't it so powerful? The fact that she met the guards, killed her sister, basically. But she knew that God's forgiveness is so much greater. And she knew the power it has to save. And she asked God for strength and forgave him. And how easy would it have been for Corrie ten Boom to be like Jonah in that situation? As, as we'll look at in the next chapter, Jonah's not happy about this repentance. He really is not happy. These people that were so horrible and hurtful to people, that his people that he knew, that they would repent and that God would forgive them. And yet here we see the opposite. We see somebody who's been so hurt. Who's, this person's taken away so much from her and done awful, awful, awful things. And yet God forgives him, and she forgives him by the power of the Holy Spirit. When Jesus tells us to love our enemies, it's a very practical thing. And I think, you know, as as Corey says in that extract, she spoke about it kind of glibly, like she knew that was true, but when it comes to it, we have to do it (laughs) because God's grace is so powerful salvation really does belong to the Lord and we have to keep this eternal perspective we have to keep our eyes fixed on Christ and, and the coming kingdom of God and not on the things of this world and forgiving someone doesn't excuse the bad things they have done when when the Assyrians repented, it didn't mean that God was then fine with all the horrible things they had done. When this um, German guard 
repented it doesn't mean that then god was fine with all the horrible things he had done but it meant that god forgives and god gives them another chance we'll see more of god's heart behind this in the next chapter of jonah but isn't this such a challenge for us and it just shows the power of god's love and god's grace is so much more powerful than bitterness and revenge the power of forgiveness is there anyone that you need to forgive (laughs) is there anyone that you've thought I just can't forgive that person for what they did to me or what they did to someone I love I know Jesus says to but I just can't well you have to and I say that bluntly, but it's because it's true. As Corey says in that passage, Jesus tells us his forgiveness is so great that it means we must also forgive others. Otherwise, we're not witnessing to him. We're not witnessing to the, the, the very forgiveness that he has given us. We have to extend that to others. Otherwise, do we truly understand the greatness of God's grace and God's salvation? So I pray if if someone has come to your mind um, that you need to forgive, I pray that the Holy Spirit would give you the strength to do that, that you would have the same experience as Corrie there, that you would just feel that forgiveness, as she says, forgiveness isn't a feeling, it's, it's an act of the will. I pray God would give you that strength and that from that you would just know that freedom that comes with forgiveness. Thank you, Lord, that you rescue (laughs) thank you that you save that there really is no place too deep too dark even if we have made such awful decisions in our lives such evil decisions god you still offer salvation if we repent and we turn to you thank you lord for that reassurance and may we share that reassurance with others lord jesus may our own ideas and opinions not get in the way lord But we just know that your grace is enough and is so, so great. Thank you, Lord. So thank you for joining me for this episode, um, Jonah chapter 3. We'll move on to chapter 4 next time and look at Jonah's response um, and what God is teaching him through that. And then we'll consider what Jesus might mean when he says that, um, when he talks about the sign of Jonah. Uh, those episodes will be out over the next few weeks it's Christmas so (laughs) time time goes funny at Christmas doesn't it in between busyness of carol services and all the rest of it and then just sitting and eating boxes of chocolate um but I hope you have a wonderful Christmas time and that you have a great time being with family and friends and focusing on on Jesus this time of year I'm actually writing a little Christmas devotional ebook which will be out over the Christmas period. So keep an eye out on my socials and on my website for that. It will be free, free downloadable PDF that you can print out or read on a e-reader. Um, and it's just a short devotional, little devotionals take you five or ten minutes a day just going through the Christmas story. So I hope that that will be helpful in this kind of busy time that you can take just that moment just to focus in on Jesus and just consider that amazing Christmas story um, that we have. 
in the Bible as Christians to look at and celebrate this time of year. So thank you very much for joining me again today. Quite a heavy one, but good, I think. God is so great. And um, I pray that God will bless you as you go about your day, as you go about your week. And I really look forward to seeing you next time for Jonah chapter four. Thank you so, so much for joining me for today's podcast. If you have five minutes to leave a review of this podcast on whatever platform you're listening on, that would be really, really helpful. And it would help more people like us who might enjoy studying the Bible to find the podcast and to join us in our journey. If you'd like to support me in making this podcast financially, you can use the buy me a coffee link that is in the show notes to just donate a little bit towards making these resources. You can also follow me over on Instagram at Bible with Megan or one word where I update everything that's going on and have content on there as well. So I really look forward to seeing you next time for the next episode of the Bible with Megan podcast.